Welcome to Am I Famous Yet? Memoir of a Working Class Rockstar, where I explore the trials and tribulations of being a full-time freelance professional musician in this crazy business we call show. My name is Ivan Funkboy Bodley, and I'll be your host, endeavoring to entertain you with my tales from the road, because sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying. Am I Famous Yet? is available as a podcast wherever you get fine podcasts, a YouTube series, and even as an actual book in hardcover, softcover, and Kindle editions on Amazon. Links for all of these, including my social media, can be found at my website, www.funkboy.net, F-U-N-K-B-O-Y.net. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review it, as these things really do help other people find the show. So grab your bass, tune up, and let's hit the road. Hey, it's Ivan. Welcome to Playing for a Living, my road diaries for the week that was. Last week, I got called to sub in the house band at the Monday Night Blues Jam at the Bitter End. Uh, the phone call came in just as I was parking the car at the venue about the opening number for the evening. Fortunately, I had a chart on my iPad and had heard the song, but usually I enjoy a tiny bit more advance notice than that to prepare music for a show although it worked out just fine. It was the first time I'd been asked to sub in that Monday Night Jam Session house band in many years. I used to be in that band for almost five years, but that was a long time ago now. Being in a jam session band is an excellent way to develop your listening skills and your reaction time in a live setting. Invariably, someone will call an unfamiliar song or even an original piece that is impossible to know in advance. The only way to survive playing in that type of situation is to open your ears wide and start memorizing the song form in real time as it's going by. Jam sessions and open mics are always unpredictable combinations of people sitting in with each other. As such, I maintain that these evenings always contain moments of brilliance, moments of despair. Meaning, there are always times where unpredictable things happen for good or for ill. If the stage is full of people who are listening to each other and are capable players, the music can rise up into something greater than the sum of its parts. Equally often, if not more frequently, however, an amateur instrument owner, as opposed to an actual musician, will sink the entire ship irrevocably. There is nothing you can do to buoy up a drummer with no sense of time who is flailing away at some paradiddle he or she just learned, completely oblivious to what anyone else on stage is playing. Jam sessions can either be a long night for the house band members or a longer night. It can be a long night if, like last Monday, no other bass players show up to sit in. I ended up playing the whole three hours with no break. It can also feel like a much longer night if a ton of bass players show up. That way, I might end up playing only the first song of the night and the closing number. The rest of the time, I just have to sit around and listen to the shenanigans and not get to play in any of their reindeer games. Time passes much more slowly that way. Another skill set I'll mention that a jam session gives one the ability to enhance is the unique opportunity to elevate one's thinking about what to do when boredom sets in. When I'm playing a 12-bar blues in the key of G behind soloist after soloist after oh-so-sad soloist, my mind can begin to wander. A 12-bar blues is a pretty simple three-chord progression that is fairly universally understood, hence why it is a great choice for an open mic setting. It can allow musicians who have never met before to be able to play together without any rehearsal or premeditation. After about five minutes of playing the same song, especially while listening to and trying to support uninspired guitar solos, how does one handle the inevitable resulting thoughts of suicide? 
The answer I found is this. If you're feeling bored while playing, you're not being creative enough. That's on you, not on the amateur musician sitting in. The jam session setting allows unique time and space for the exploration of varying the groove and the harmony in often subtle ways that don't send the band off the rails, but instead elevate the proceedings. After one soloist finishes, that's a great spot to radically alter the dynamics of the band, for instance. If the last solo finished with a blistering crescendo, try breaking the whole band down to a whisper for the next soloist to have somewhere to build from. If the last solo was taken over a quarter note walking baseline feel, try using an eighth note or an implied triplet feel for the next one. That feel change can kind of wake everybody up and re-energize them. Additionally, and this is a bit trickier sometimes, it's possible to start altering the harmony of the progression. Our buddy Mr. Sting once said that, quote, it's not a C chord until I play a C. You can change harmony very subtly but very effectively as a bass player that's one of the great privileges of our role and why i love playing bass end quote far from being arrogant what mr sting is stating is simple music theory put into practice without getting too eggheaded about it a c triad contains the notes c e and g if the bass player plays a c it remains a c triad if the bass plays an a the same tones become an A minor 7 chord. If the bass plays an F, it becomes an F major 9 chord. There are 12 tones in the chromatic scale, and therefore 12 choices a bass player could make to add to the C, E, and the G. Some of the choices sound very pleasing, and some radically do not. The musical context becomes everything here. Doing this reharmonizing effectively requires some harmonic knowledge, a little bit of taste, and more importantly, some compatriots on stage who are receptive and reactive. When all of those things are in place, it's possible to make an even one chord song into something really interesting and engaging to play and to listen to. Last Wednesday night, I played with Broadway star Lily Cooper from SpongeBob, Spring Awakenings, Tootsie, etc. at Feinstein's 54 Below, which is a great cabaret room in Manhattan in the basement of Studio 54. They have renovated it into such a nice space that it's mind-boggling to imagine what they must have had to do to steam clean and fumigate all of the debauchery out of that room. It's like an ancient disco burial ground. Since the last time I played there, which is maybe two years ago now, they have replaced the 15-watt house bass amp that they always ask me to turn down. But rather than a 10-watt bass amp, which might have still been fine for that room, they replaced it with a small but unbelievably loud 300-watt bass amp, which is the same model I use for my wedding gigs. I had to turn that amp down to about one on the dial. I guess it worked. They didn't yell at me. The show was sold out, super easy, and fun to play. Lily, who is eight months pregnant, was amazing, funny, and engaging. We did one rehearsal for it, which ran under time, a sound check, which also took less than the time allotted, and then did the show. All four of us on stage were well-prepared, knew what our roles were, and executed everything on cue. It was a testament to the talent and preparation of our star Lily and our music director Julie. We were collectively marveling after the show how seemingly effortless it had gone compared to similar past shows in that same room with other performers. It just doesn't need to be more difficult than that. Last Thursday, I had a double. A New Orleans-style band played at the Bitter End at 10 p.m. and the Days of Wild Funk Band at the Red Lion at 1 a.m. So I played for four hours between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. with a short hour break between the two gigs. Once again, the Red Lion was packed to the rafters until closing time. 
the big sport for us that night was watching the crowd and trying to determine who the bouncers were going to evict next. There would be subtle cues like someone's eyes no longer being able to focus as they're beginning to lose motor control from the booze. The club throws them out before they fall down. If they pass out outside or in a cab, they're no longer the club's responsibility. On Friday, I played at a fundraiser event at a beach pavilion in Connecticut. Google Maps promised me that it was 53 miles away from the house and could take up to three hours and 20 minutes of travel time in Friday rush hour summer beach traffic. It took every bit of that to get there and only an hour to get home again at 11.30 p.m., uh, the nature of I-95 traffic. The fundraiser was some charity or another. The guy who booked us did so with the stipulation that he got to sit in with the band on congas, which was fine. The caterer for the evening was notable because it was a food truck from the Super Duper Weenie hot dog restaurant in Fairfield, Connecticut. I was unable to resist taking a photo of myself with the sign on the side of the truck. And the photo came out so well that it might just be my next album cover. On Saturday, I played a wedding in Kennebunk, Maine, which promised to be at least a five-and-a-half-hour drive from New York City with no traffic. P.S., there's always traffic. It took closer to seven-and-a-half hours. The gig was a pretty typical wedding in a tent in a field, nothing spectacular to report. It went well enough. Afterwards, the hotel room they got for us was in Concord, New Hampshire, about 90 minutes from the venue. During the after-show drive, I enjoyed yet another traffic stop by a friendly New Hampshire state police officer, one of my headlight bulbs burned out, on a dark two-lane highway with no traffic on it. I'm quite sure the officer was thrilled to have something to do for the evening. I handed him my license, registration, and proof of insurance. He handed me back my insurance card saying that it isn't required in New Hampshire. Is that even a thing? Do they really, they really do mean it when they say live free or die. The subtext here, obviously, is to die in a traffic accident because I have no insurance and there's no way I can pay for this, so I might as well be dead. Or at least that's how I think of it. Uh, we finally made it to the hotel, took a nap for a few hours, and then drove the promised four and a half hours back to home on Sunday, which, of course, took more like five and a half hours. This past week, I had six gigs, two lessons, a rehearsal, and three podcast appearances. This was the first fully busy music week since the pandemic shut down. And while I'm exhausted, I'm also very happy to be back in the saddle again, and once again, able to pay my bills with nothing more than a Fender bass in my hands. This is the Funk Boy, signing off.